The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 188. If New York City had the same population density as Alaska, only 28 people would be living in Manhattan. And thankfully, there'd be a lot less Mets fans. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who quit her job way back in 2006, who is now known worldwide as a career break guru, and who apparently is going to tell me that I've been making gin and tonics wrong my entire life. My good friend, Sherry Ott, founder of Ott's World and Meet Plan Go. Sherry, thanks for joining us today and welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, (laughs) I am super excited. It's early morning for Sherry on the West Coast right now. So thanks for getting up at 9 a.m. to come chat with us. Yeah, I feel like we should be drinking gin and tonics, though, now since you mentioned it. I was going to say, right now it's (laughs) 1213. It's afternoon on Labor Day we're recording this. So I could easily have a gin and tonic and have an excuse, but... I want to know why I've been making gin and tonics wrong because we share an affinity for gin and tonics. They're my favorite drink. And on Saturday, I woke up with a headache. So I'm wondering if maybe it's because I made the gin and tonics wrong or maybe it's just because I had six of them. I can't <laughs> quite figure it out. Um, so give us the scoop because this if you go to Sherry's website, this is one of her latest posts. And I was like... What's going on here? I'm 32. I should know how to make a gin and tonic. <laughs> I know. I was really, really devastated when I found out that like, what? I, I don't know how to make a gin and tonic at all. And I learned this um, in Bars- well, in Catalonia, basically, who the area, surprisingly, is ridiculously nuts about gin. Like I, the last place I ever would have thought. But um let me just ask you this. When you make your gin and tonic, do you normally uh, squeeze like a lime into it? I usually don't squeeze the lime. I usually like rim the glass with the lime and then put the lime in, but don't like squeeze the juice in, if that makes sense. Okay. So so you may be half correct. Okay. okay. No, I mean, no juice, no lime juice, no any of that is supposed to be in it. So... Um, yeah, so I was in Catalonia and I went to this gin bar, basically, which they have all over Catalonia. Little to my, I didn't know that before. And some of the first steps, I was just blown away. First of all, it's all about like this glass. You have to have like we don't we normally use little tumblers. No, you have to have these like big goblet glasses because the whole idea behind it is you're supposed to keep it really cold, but it needs to not have the ice melt, not watered down whatsoever. So it's like chill it, but don't, you know, you don't want anything to melt. So the goblet kind of helps with that because you're not having the heat around the glass when you pick it up from your body heat. But then it's all about the ice, the size of the ice, the temperature of the ice, and then the order in which you put it all in. And 
like they are hundreds and hundreds of gins all over Catalonia and as well as tonics. Did you, I didn't even, I just use one tonic. I, I never even knew. Yeah, there were I mean, tonics. I just picked the cheap one out at the grocery store, right? I figured yeah. they're all the same. No, they are not. And then the other, the other big surprising part about it is um, it's how you choose the tonic and it has to do with the gassiness of the tonic and then how you pour it in. So normally we would probably just pour it over the top give it a little stir and we're done. Um, but no, this is what that little swizzle st- spoon at the bar is used for. <laughs> apparently you pour it onto the spoon, it goes down the spoon and it keeps the gases in. Um, so the whole drink is more effervescent. Wow. It looks yeah. like I have to take a trip to Catalonia then to figure yes. all that out. Yes. <laughs> that is pretty fantastic. Yeah. I've only gotten to the point where there is a gin. I do have a favorite gin now. It's called Blue Coat Gin. It's out of Philadelphia. I actually, it tasted smoother the first time I had it. I didn't know why. And after talking with the guys there, it's called an American dry gin because they make it a little more citrusy, a little less junipery because it's made to go with American tonic water, which is doesn't have as much quinine or quine, however you say, quinine. Yeah, I never know how to pronounce that as the stuff in Europe because of the FDA and things like that. So I'm at that point. That's the point I'm at. But I don't have a swizzle spoon. I don't pour it over that or anything. So maybe I have to uh, in- invest in one of those and really impress my friends. Oh, yes. In fact, I think we could open a whole gin and tonic tasting bar here in the States and we could blow everyone's mind. We could uh-huh. start the whole trend. There we go. Yeah. And I was weird thing too. When I was in Switzerland, when we were filming the show, Heather and I, there was a gin bar in this five star hotel in Bern, Switzerland. And I asked the guy, I'm like, well, Switzerland's not known for gin, you know? And he said, oh, yeah, my food and beverage manager just loves gin. He asked if I could do a, if he could do a gin bar. And they had 50 gins there. And yeah, I was like, I was impressed. I didn't think that it was you know, really popular outside of, you know, a few places, obviously London and things like that. Yeah. So I would be willing to bet that that manager was from the Barcelona area. I was just, in fact, just yesterday I had brunch in Anchorage, Alaska, and I just opened up yesterday. the menu. I know. And now you're in San Francisco. <laughs> We're going to touch on that, folks, of her travel schedule. <laughs> but I opened up the menu of the brunch, and the first thing I saw was a list of gin and tonics, and it even said... Barcelona style gin and tonics. And I'm like, what? This is crazy. Actually, the other thing I learned about it is that the the man who taught me, who is a gin aficionado, definitely, he said the best gin in the world is from the United States. He put out three bottles. They were all US. And I'm like, what? No way. Very (laughs) cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. (laughs) Awesome. Well, when you make it down to my neck of the woods, there's actually a distillery that just opened in my small town and they're doing gin. It's pretty good, so we'll have to go get a drink. We'll see if they do it right, you know? Awesome. Let's do it. Well, and let's <laughs> talk about some of your trips because, you know, Sherry is one of the few people in this world that make my travel look downright slow. Like, she is insane with the amount that she travels. You just got back from some pretty epic trips. I even can't keep up with them all. I'm always checking the site and being like, wait, I thought she was just in Alaska. Now she's in San Fran. Wasn't she in Antarctica? I don't even know what's going on at the time. So give us kind of a rundown of your last few months or even this last year, just to put it in perspective of of the places you've been and how much you're traveling. I've got to actually think about where I started the year. We can Um, work backwards from today (laughs) if you want, if that makes it easier. It might. Um, Well, okay. Yeah, let's do it that way. First of all, I didn't always travel this fast. This has been within the last probably two to three years. My travel style changed for various reasons. And it's good and bad. 
So let me just preface it with that. Uh, but I do get to go to some really cool places. So yeah, I just came from a about three weeks in Alaska. So I'd never been to Alaska before. A huge state, beautiful state. I'm going to say the most beautiful state in the United States because I'm a mountain person. Uh, you know, traveled all around there, really tried to get to some places that not everyone goes to, you know, the typical cruise itinerary, et cetera. But before that, I spent two weeks in a very remote part of the world um, in the Arctic, but the Russian Arctic. So I took an expedition ship through the Bering Strait and went up uh, north of Russia to Wrangel Island, an island that people know very, very little about. It's kind of like the South Georgia Island of the Arctic. So um, polar bears, snowy owls, walruses, um, snow geese, uh, oh, muskoxen. I didn't even know what those were. Um, you know, just incredible. No one lives there. There's some rangers. Before that. And what prompted you to go up there? Because I said Antarctica and I was forgetting. Yes, you were the other way. You were at the north. <laughs> um, okay. Still crazy. Uh, yeah. What prompted you to go up there? Luck. I mean, honestly, uh, I had met, I went to an adventure travel conference last year in Ireland. And the last night of the conference, it was just kind of group dinners. I was there by myself, as I normally am. And I sat down and ended up talking to this guy next to me. And he ran. Uh, or he worked for a company that does small expedition cruising to very remote and unique places. And so we started talking and, and then uh, no big deal. January, I had an email in my inbox saying, Hey, you want to go to Russia? And I'm like, okay, uh, tell me more. So yeah, it, it was uh, because I do writing and he, and I had met him, he offered me a spot just out of the blue. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I'll do whatever I need to do to get there. And because the trip basically started from Nome, a charter flight from Nome to Russia, um, I had to get myself to Nome. And then I figured, well, shoot, once I'm in Nome, I might as well see Alaska, Alaska for the first time. So then I organized all of that. So those were the, the most recent travels. But I think I don't even know where I all was this year. Well, at some point, you must have been in Catalonia. Or was that before oh, that yeah. you learned how to make a gin and tonic? <laughs> no, I was in Spain. I was in Catalonia for a month. That's right. I think in like April, May. Um, I was in Australia for a month uh, in March. I did Alberta, Canada in the heart of winter in February, which was Ooh. so fun. It was fun. Um, and that was, yeah. And I feel like there were some, oh, and then other places in between. Oh, I just came back from Belize this summer, did a trip with my niece to Belize, Indianapolis. I went to the Indy 500 this year. I got a drive in the pace car. I think that was this year. A few other little things peppered in there. I Oh, yeah. Molokai, Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. Alaska. <laughs> Arctic Circle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as you can tell, Sherry travels quite a bit. But what is so interesting about, about your lifestyle, not that, and, and we will talk about all the travel and things like that, is that Nine years ago, and we have to give a little clap here, right? Because you just told me before we started that tomorrow is your nine-year anniversary from when you started off, when you started this trip and you pushed off and you're like, I don't know what's next. I'm going to go on the trip. So take us back a little bit to what you were doing before that and how this whole lifestyle came about. Because everyone listening, most people listening are probably like, yeah, these two are crazy. They travel a lot, but they're probably at least intrigued of how could I do something like this? Yeah, I was not like this. And there was no plan. Let me just put that forth. And and let me also put forth, 
I am a planning person. I am a very type A personality. So this this isn't like just like, oh, that's this crazy hippie girl. Before, uh, in 2006, before I took off, I had been working for 14 years in corporate jobs, running IT groups and projects for big retailers in the U.S. So I had kind of traveled all over and lived all over the U.S., chasing this career, climbing the ladder. And then I, I my last job was in New York City, and I decided this climbing the ladder thing just really isn't as fun as I thought it would be. The money's fun, <laughs> but, but I'm not really that interested in it. And, you know, I just, it was 14 years and I needed a break, honestly. It just, I had moved from job to job, never really took off any time in between. You know, you're working with a little bit of vacation. I was just getting that travel bug. I didn't have a passport until I was 30 years old. So I just started traveling internationally. and. I decided I was kind of miserable in my current job. I didn't really like it that much. I didn't like the culture there. And I didn't know what to do next. I didn't know if I wanted to stay in IT because it was kind of an accident how I ended up there anyway. And I just decided I need to get out and I want to go travel for a little bit and maybe I'll get that kind of out of my system. (laughs) And I made this whole plan for about a year and a half ahead of time that I was going to leave. Very type A, very organized. (laughs) Yes. And in true type A form, I got books and I started doing research. But remember, 2006, it it was quite different than 2005, 2006. The only website out there that dealt with long-term travel, boots and all, their blogs weren't what we called blogs at all. When I did searches on Amazon for books, I did find a book called Gap Year for Grownups. And of course, I bought it and it came and I was super excited and I opened it up and I'm thinking, this is going to help me plan everything because I don't know what I'm doing. And it it was written by a UK author. And so it immediately started off and it started referring to things like a CV and stuff like this. And I, I realized pretty quickly that like, you know what, this isn't my culture, though, like they're not covering the things that I was worried about, which was like, Oh my God, the social pressures of leaving this job and this career. And what do I do? And, and it just, it was different. It was very, very different. And it did have some good planning advice, but I didn't feel like I could relate. So I was kind of upset that there was nothing from an American perspective. So that kind of helped me start one of my other businesses. Right. Right. (laughs) But yeah, so I, you know, September 8th, 2006, I went to JFK airport. I'll admit I was terrified. I was scared to death of what I was doing. I was doing it alone and I was in tears and it wasn't necessarily tears of joy. I was just terrified of what I was doing. I had a one-way ticket to Kenya. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I and the original plan also, let me say this because it was very organized, was I'm going to travel for 1 year. I had it sort of plotted out. I I had planned and purchased probably the first 3 months of stuff and in a year, I would come back. Uh, I would go like Africa, Asia, Europe, come back, and I would plug back in, and I would have answers. That was that was. The plan. Isn't that funny? <laughs> like, I think everyone's who has done something like this, and I haven't really. Like, I did it a, a little differently, but everyone who who takes this break, it's always it's always a year, almost always, because it seems like a nice number. It's like, good. yeah. And I like you're like Africa, Asia. I'm just gonna do those, and then I'm gonna come back, and then it's like, cool, that was a fun trip, and now I'm you know back into my IT job. I mean, us looking on it now, it sounds so funny to us because we can both sit here and say, like, what were we thinking? Thinking we were gonna go back to something, but 
A, it helps sometimes because you're not saying, well, I'm throwing, I'm throwing arrow the shackles off my old life and I'm just going to go forever and I'm going to figure it out because if you put that stress on yourself, yeah, talk about being yeah, in tears. I think you'd go. be, yeah, you'll never go, right. And so, yeah, you, you give yourself an end date. It seems all organized. Plus, honestly, and I remember this too, like it gives an answer to all those people who start asking, well, wait a minute, you're going to be gone for a year. What, what are you going to do when you come back? Or what are you doing? And you, and you kind of just like soothe the, the concern and go, but I'm coming back in a year and then I'm going to, you know, and and once again, back in 2006, it, you know, my family was just like, what? You're doing what? And it just wasn't as mainstream now. And it's funny because fast forward to earlier this year, I was at a um, press or a media event and in New York City. And I was sitting next to this travel writer and we were talking. I think she worked for CNN or not. I don't know. Some big, bigger publication. And and I was telling her what I did and, and so on. And I was telling her about the Meet Plan Go website, which we'll talk about, um, but around career breaks. And she said, oh, I'm so sick of hearing about all these people who have just quit everything, sold everything and went off and traveled the world and found themselves. She's like, I'm sick of it. I can't hear anymore. She's like, every day there's a headline like that. And she said, you know, when you, she's like, when you have someone that you know of that went on a, a career break and it didn't go well or it didn't go as planned or something horrible happened. She's like, you let me know. That's what I want to write about. And I thought, well, okay, well, we've come a long way since 2006. Well, it, I totally agree. Not that I'm sick of the stories, but I get where she's coming from because, you know, people share a post on my wall and it's usually like, guy quits job, travels for a year, makes a million dollars. Yeah. We're like, it's just all these stories of people doing it, which I love because it just helps validate what I'm doing. It makes me very happy for people who have done it, but I can get where she's coming from because it's like all of a sudden, it seems like that in the last two or three years, everyone's doing it. I think everyone is just the people, you know, we're in this world, so we see it, you know, but it is. And I'm glad it's going well because I tell people like, I don't know anyone who says, oh, I went and traveled on your advice, Trav, and it really sucked. I can't wait to come back to the cubicle. Well, of course, because... That's it's awesome, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, I do know plenty of people that do go back to the cubicle, plenty, and and that works. So, you know, it's not that you're also gonna go and you're gonna end up this, you know, wandering nomad forever. If if you like it, you may. But um lots of people, and I would say the majority of people that I meet through Me Plan Go, um, who've taken career breaks do come back and plug in in some way. It might have been the same career, different career, different, you know. Uh, home, etc. But, but yeah, so I just think, I just think about like, wow, these nine years and how much change there's been and kind of sticking with it this long. It's just, it's, it's really mind boggling to me, you know, all the changes in social media and blogging and so on. I think that's the other thing too, is that people who are doing this now, it's easy for other people to know because they can have a site or they can have a Facebook or a Twitter. You know, before there's plenty of people doing it. Like you said, when you started, you couldn't find any advice. Well, there are people doing it, but you know, you had to write a book and get it published and then someone had to find it. Now it's like, oh, I'm going to start my website, travelaroundtheworldtrav.com. All right, boom. <laughs> you can find it today, you know? So yeah. I, I think that definitely the perception versus reality. I mean, that, that skews it a little bit. I want to touch on one thing that you, you discussed about when you left and your family 
you know, not that they might not have been supportive, but just like, what are you doing? Because I know a lot of people, even if it's not a career break, if it's just a, a trip, I mean, sometimes we go on trips and people are like, you're, you're going, like, we're going to South Africa this week. And people are like, are oh, you going to South Africa? Like, are you sure you know what you're doing? This and that. For us, I mean, I haven't even done any research, you know, because <laughs> I'm just used to it. But what do you do? What's the advice you give to people? And then what did you do to kind of just get past that? Because that can be a block that, that ends someone's trip before it starts sometimes. Yeah, that fear thing is huge. Those are some of the biggest fears. Um, just the safety of travel as well as like, ooh, I'm breaking social norms. What are people going to think? Um, so as far as, you know, back in my type A self, uh, I had been planning for a year and a half to leave. And so I knew it would be important to warn my parents as early as possible. <laughs> so about a year out, I told them of this plan. And and I did that because I knew it would take them a while to come around to the whole idea. And I didn't know if they would, um, but it wasn't also going to stop me. It wasn't like that was going to be a, a roadblock for me at all, unless maybe they were sick or something. Uh, yeah, my mother was like, well, why can't you just travel in the United States? And my dad was like, are you sure you have to quit your job to do this? Like, can't you just, you know, go for a little bit and come back? You know, so but they did. By the end, they had come around. By the time I was packing up and doing that last, you know, I was leaving and going to JFK, they were there. They came and helped me pack and put stuff in storage and were concerned, definitely. But they let me go. And now they love it, of course, because they travel with me every so often. <laughs> oh, we can go visit our daughter in Nome, Alaska. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My dad and I went to Antarctica. We've been to Nepal. We've been to China. But and same, you know, my family just kind of was like, oh, it's another crazy thing that Sherry's doing. But I had a lot of people that were worried about like this. Well, what do you do when you come back kind of thing? And I didn't have any answers for that at all. Were you I, worried about that? Oh, I was terrified. I had no idea because this was the first time in my life where I really didn't like go. Well, I don't I don't know. I've, I've, I've gone off the plan. I've gone off the normal freeway and I'm on this little gravel road and I don't know where it goes and how I'm going to get back on the freeway. I determined pretty quickly that I had to learn how to fake it. So when people ask me those questions, <laughs> that I would just, I would have some answer and I would just, I would act like I was really confident about it. Like, oh, well, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to go back and I'm going to find a job, you know, here in New York or wherever and just, you know, kind of brush it off. And I still do that to this day many, many times, honestly. It's a little acting, but it's just, it kind of just gets you out of that conversation of fear. Um, but that's kind of how I handled it with friends and family and friends I told and they were all excited and we had parties and they all came and visited me on the road. Um, as far as what I tell people today, like fear of travel, you know, it is good to go out and read other blogs and stuff like that about places. But, you know, you just if you listen to the news or you read the State Department website sometimes <laughs> Yeah, there's like 140 you'll, countries on like yeah. the no travelist. You're like, oh, you'll never go anywhere yeah. ever. I ever, can go ever. to Canada. Yay. <laughs> yeah. And I just really try to stress that, like, first of all, you can go somewhere and you don't have to stay if you don't like it. Like, you know, it's not a one way ticket, really. Like you can get out. You know, you have to be smart, but it, you know, you, you have to go out and see for yourself. You can't let the media rule those thoughts. Otherwise, you're never going to go anywhere. I mean, you just won't. And so I think it's really important for people to get out and make their own, form their own opinions about places. I really stress to people that, you know, 
90% of the time, the people that I meet on the road in other countries and countries that we would probably be, most people would be a little bit like, eh, I don't know if I would go there. Those people just want the same thing we do. You, you know, love, happiness, family, that's it. And they're all really super nice and they got to go out and really let that happen um, to, to trust it. But it is a leap no matter how you do it. Yeah, I've actually gotten asked, I, I don't know why, in the last week, two different people, and this is probably the first time I've been asked this, or, or at least that I remember, have asked, you know, what is the, one person said, like, what's the shadiest country you've been in? Or what was, you know, and, and so I've been asked, like, basically, when have you been in a situation while you're traveling that's been, like, dangerous? Like, what's the most fear you felt? And you know what? I could not answer the question. I said, this is going to sound really weird, but I don't know. And I said, some of that is because some of the things that Heather and I do now, we don't, we're not as fearful because we've done a lot of other traveling. Like we might be in a situation where someone else might think that this is scary or weird or something like that. Whereas for us, because we do have experience, it, it, we probably feel differently. But I also said, you know, we've never been to Yemen. We've never been to Syria. We haven't been through Iraq. You know, it's like... You know, we haven't gone to these what I consider crazy places. Like I know your friend Charlie Grosso would shoot on. She's like, yeah. "Oh, I'm going to Pakistan." And I was even yeah. like, "What? You're, gonna, you know?" So I haven't done any of that. So that's part of it. But the other part, I think, is just that when you're there, maybe you even felt that before you went, and you just forget it because then when you're there, it's so you don't feel that way. Like in Kenya, when we're there, it's it's so much fun and the people are so nice. Maybe I felt apprehension before I left. I. I don't even remember it because it's just over. And I, I just remember what I've done and it's been awesome. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I have noticed in this nine years of traveling in and out of the U.S. and so on, the more time I spend in the U.S., the more fearful I get, even though I'm a very well-traveled person. So like, you know, like if you had told me like, oh, you're going to go to Lebanon, you know, and I was in the middle of my first couple years of travel, I would have been like, okay, no problem. But if I had been back in the US for say two months, and someone's like, you're going to Lebanon, I'd be like, hmm, yeah. I, I, it's, so it's really weird. It's so much also by like what we're surrounded by and, and what we see and that fear just is really prevalent, it seems like in the US or in my own culture, I don't know. I don't go to super crazy places either. I do have a limit. You know? Right, right. And and but, so do we. But like I, the, the only example I could give, I was like, well, I don't know when I'm walking around like Paris at night in the subway, like maybe like, I, but I'm not like fearful I'm going to die. I'm just fearful someone might mug me, which is not fun either. But I said, you know, I would feel that exact same way if I was on the subway in Philadelphia or New York or anything like that. That's just a big city that's not like Switzerland or Japan type big city. That's a normal thing. So it is. It's it's one of those strange things. I I don't know why I was asked twice in the last week, but I just the second time I was like, I'm going to tell you right off. I can't give you an answer because I already tried to think of this for about half an hour. So well, and I always have people ask me when they kind of find out about my life. You get the standard questions. What's your favorite country? What's you know blah blah blah. One of the standard questions is always kind of like, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? And you would think in nine years of traveling that. I would have horrible stories to tell. Like, and they always ask, have you ever gotten anything stolen? Have you, you know, and I, I feel very disappointing because I'm like, I don't really have any horrible stories yet. You know, I, there's things that have happened. Some things that have sort of scared me, things I probably wouldn't do again, but no 
horrible, horrible stories. Like I've kind of been lucky, but maybe I, you know, and I feel like I'm kind of disappointing them. Like they're looking for that, like, oh, but tell me about the time you got pickpocketed and, you know, I didn't. Sorry. Right. right. <laughs> well, listeners, this podcast know that we're going to ask you a specific question at the end of the show. That's a little bit along those lines, but we'll, we'll wait for that. But I, I'm the same way. Anything that's happened to me that's been quote unquote bad or a mishap is like my own doing, like or Heather's own doing. Like when she crashed her motorbike, we had to go to the hospital or when I was stuck in Singapore because my passport, it didn't have anything to do with anyone else. It was just us being dumb or just having a mistake or an accident it wasn't anyone doing anything to us so i tell those stories and that usually like placates them and they think it's funny but i'm like this is just us this could have happened down the road you know yeah. so yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting i i want to touch on the career break stuff because this has been a huge part of your life obviously because you took a career break and now you teach people about career breaks and what they can do and how they can do it and i think Obviously, if you hear the word career break, it, it kind of makes sense. Like people can piece that together and get what it is. But I want to explain the concept a little bit because for you, you quit your job and went away and we're planning to come back. Some people quit or don't quit, but like take a sabbatical and come back. Some people quit and don't know they're going to come back. So let's talk about a career break because a lot of people are probably, they don't even think it's possible because I didn't really think it was possible until I just started doing my own thing. It wasn't really a career break. It was like, I want to form my own career type thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's really kind of that mindset. It can be a career break or a sabbatical, whatever you want to call it. The difference to me is one's kind of paid and one might not be. <laughs> um, but it's really this idea of, you know, you're in the middle of your career. It is one thing that we, I normally say it's okay. This isn't, I don't call it a career break. If you're 22, <laughs> you have to have had a career. Sorry. I went to college um, and I don't want to work. <laughs> that's that's just called break. a break from life, right? <laughs> that's called a gap year or whatever you want right. to call it. But I do try to differentiate, like this is really talking to mid-career professionals or freelancers or whatever, but mid-career basically. And, you know, you really just want to step away Sometimes it's because you don't want to wait for retirement to do certain things, whatever, but you want to step away from your everyday routine and, and get out of that and go experience something else for a bit. It is really this idea of a sabbatical, right? I mean, it's kind of the same idea of stepping away and out of your routine and learning new things and expose, exposure to new things. And I really think it's something that, you know, do you have to travel internationally? No, you could travel locally. But I do think it's really important to get the benefits of making sure that you step out of your routine. So going somewhere for a longer period of time so that you can get out of, you know, kind of really because it takes a few weeks or months sometimes to just kind of get out of all that stuff and be able to clear your mind and open yourself up to new things. That's at a high level what I think of it as. And then you can do all kinds of different things as you plan that itinerary that can be quite purposeful for maybe exploring different ideas that you have, maybe different career or things that you want to learn, or maybe you want to switch careers or you want to, you know, try little things to see if you like them. You know, there's all kinds of things like that. But the one thing it also does is when we're away from our stuff in our regular routine, you tend to realize what's important to you, what you need. Um, and you tend to realize that you probably don't need that much stuff either. Uh, so it's just, it's a good exercise to just kind of step away for a little bit, 
most people, like I said, do come back and they come back. Sometimes they live the same life they did. Sometimes they make some changes in their life or whatever. But I think it's just good as human beings to be able to step away for a bit. How does someone, you know, like you said, they're mid-career I know there's no real normal, right? But let's let's use that word because I'm I can't think of a better example right now. You know, um but let's say you're in a regular job, you've been there for 10 years and and you're listening to this and you're saying, "Yeah, you know, I need a career break. I think it'd be good for my career going forward because it would kind of reinvigorate me. I think that's one thing that is a huge benefit that people might not even think about and to show them something new and learn new skills and this and that." How does someone go about even starting the conversation with their company, with their boss, with their colleagues, whoever they kind of have to get permission from? How do you even start that? Because that would seem quite daunting because it's not really built into our culture in any way. I mean, you hear about sabbaticals with with college professors and stuff like that a little bit, but not as much in the corporate sense and the private sector. Well, hopefully that's growing. Um, but... You know, the first thing, it it starts with research, okay? I mean, you can't, like, I'm not going to recommend that anyone just barge into their boss's office and say, I need a break. Yeah, they'll get a break pretty quick, probably. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going to go well. So it starts with the research. And the first thing to probably do is first research what your company offers. Sometimes companies have sabbaticals and stuff like that or do unpaid leave and things like that. I mean, it's really important to kind of understand what's available to you just so you can also go in kind of informed. So that's just get out the HR manuals, you know, read what's up or, or websites or whatever. Um, the next thing to do, I would say, is research and educate yourself on things like the benefits you know, understand what other companies are doing or offering sabbaticals um, and what they believe the benefits are and like get yourself knowledgeable on that stuff so that when you're in that conversation, you at least, you know, you know your stuff. Um, Because most of the time, you're probably also going to be educating that HR person that you're talking to or or your boss or whatever about this. From there, you just kind of have to take the right moves. You go in and you talk to HR, your boss or whomever, let them know what you want to do and why. But here's the other key. You have to frame it so that it's not about you and the fact that like, I need a break. It's about them and how it's going to help them achieve their company goals. So another great thing to do is be prepared to have the conversation around like align your, your reasons for wanting to go um, with the company values and goals. So, you know, most companies, say that they value employee, you know, whatever, happiness and work-life balance and all that kind of stuff. Like you can take their words and use them because that's pretty powerful. (laughs) I mean, what are they going to say? No, sorry, we don't value. Whoops, uh, we're striking that out of the employee (laughs) handbook now. It's persuasion and negotiation a little bit too. Because, yeah, I would say probably 80% of the time when you go in and you ask your boss or whomever for a break or that you want to take time off or you need a sabbatical or whatever, they're probably the initial reaction is going to be no, no, no. So you do have to be prepared to have that further conversation and persuasion and negotiation around it. And there's all kinds of forms that it can take after that. You know, maybe you negotiate out unpaid leave. Maybe you uh, just negotiate that you're fine. You can't come to any agreement. You're going to leave. You're going to quit. But hey, I'd really like you guys to consider to have open door when I come back. And maybe that's kind of an agreement or, you know, 
you know, it could be all kinds of stuff. Um, maybe you, maybe you negotiate time off without pay, but you get to keep your benefits. That would be huge. Oh, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> that would be huge. You know, it? <laughs> you know, so there's all kinds of things that can happen and places that can go. But the main thing is do your research, educate yourself on the topic, on what your company values are and goals, and try to align that whole conversation around that. And be willing to know, like in any negotiation, what your, you know, what is the lowest you're going to go? So like, are you willing to quit? Because I mean, yeah, I was. know that ahead of time, right? Yeah. 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 Before you go in there. Yes. <laughs> I knew that I was willing to quit and I didn't even actually try to negotiate anything. I just, I wanted to go. Um, so, you know, but some people, you know, you, you have to understand, like, do I like this job enough that I want to come back or do I want to leave this job? And that's one of the first questions probably to ask yourself or to be able to answer before you even start this whole conversation. Yeah, I think that's important. Like set your parameters while your mind is clear, when you're not in with someone else, when you're not kind of in the heat of it, right? Set it. Be like, all right, if I could get six months off, that's fine. But if I can't get six months, like I'll ask for a year, right? If I can get six months, that's great. If I can't, I'm going to quit. And then you know going in what you're fighting for. And then I I think you made such an important point in the fact that it is going 90% of the time, it's going to be up to you to educate and convince and it probably won't be that hard if you come in with a very persuasive argument. And again, that comes from just using the benefits that they will receive. It's always about what someone else is going to receive, whether you're selling a product or anything. It's like, this is what you're going to get. Not not what I'm going to get out of it, but here's what you're going to get. Yeah. And it can be things like little things. Like, I mean, I worked in really large corporations, so we had whole meetings and stuff. And I remember I was reviewed on this at the level I was at on succession planning. So, so, you know, like something like this does help you test out that succession plan. Um, you know, it's not like you're going to leave tomorrow. You can plan this out and make sure that you've got someone there to do your job, et cetera. You know, there's that type of stuff. There's also the more, uh, you know, I worked in it. And so if I were to go in and have that conversation today, I'd be much more knowledgeable about it actually now. But one of the things I did on my initial career break was I went to India and I went to India because I wanted to go to India, honestly. But what I ended up doing, I ended up volunteering and living in Delhi for a month. And that month in Delhi and kind of getting more local because I was volunteering was so important. And I had this whole light bulb go off in my head where I'm like, whoa, all these years that I managed Indian consultants and employees and so on. It's like, I didn't get it. There were things that always confused me about like the hierarchy and how they even addressed me and so on. And it's like light bulb went off when I was there. And I'm just like, whoa, I get this. This is all part of the culture. It's hierarchy, the the importance of family and decisions run by the family and all kinds of stuff. Like that would have made me, had I returned into IT, it would have made me a better manager without a doubt. And so there's things like that. Like if your company manufactures in Asia, go to Asia. You don't have to go to manufacturing plants and enroll in a class or something like that, but you can just go and understand the culture and be around it. And, you know, there will be things that you learn just there. This concludes part one of my interview with Sherry, but we are just getting started. And if you like this episode, you are going to love part two of my interview with her. So you're going to want to catch that episode over on iTunes, on Stitcher. Of course, you can get it at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. That's P-O-D-S. 
And you can get it on Jabbercast, which is the new app that I am using to listen to all my podcasts. I love it. So guys, check out Jabbercast if you get a second. I think you're really going to love it as a podcasting app. And you'll be able to get that episode when it comes out on Thursday or if you're listening in the future. It's probably already there, so you can roll right into it. And in episode two, we are going to be recounting more of her crazy travels, including a hilarious travel mishap, which appropriately involves gin. We're going to discuss what it's like to be nomadic and why it's certainly not as glamorous as it seems. And we're going to talk about the importance of evolving as you travel and why a home base is the next logical step in both of our journeys. And I actually try to goad Sherry into making a big life decision at the end of the podcast. You're going to have to see how that turns out. Again, you can get all that iTunes, Stitcher, Jabbercast, or at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. Don't forget, if you're not already a member of our email newsletter, I put together a brand new four-part video series for you that's totally free for anyone who signs up as part of our newsletter. So you can get that by going to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash free, and you'll automatically start getting those new videos. Thank you guys today for tuning in. Thank you, as always, for all the support for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time... Happy free travels. 